Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Leigh. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing A Mistletoe Kiss by Eloisa James. This was just recently published in 2021 in the anthology Mistletoe Christmas. And full disclosure, we did receive a finished copy from Avon. So we'll just kick it right off with the jacket. The Duke of Greystoke's Christmas revelry is famous throughout the British Isles for its plays, dancing, magical grotto, not to mention scandals leading to the marriage licenses he hands out like confetti. But not everyone welcomes a visit from Cupid. Lady Cressida, the Duke's daughter, is too busy managing the entertainments. And besides, her own father has called her dowdy. Issues. Sad. Well, I mean, I, I don't really have issues with it. To, what to be, marriage license is he hands out like confetti? He does. They, he, he buys all those. He, not buy, He does. He buys marriage licenses from the Duke of, the Duke, the Bishop of Canterbury that he has there. You don't remember that plot point? I do. He doesn't hand them out like confetti. But he does hear that he, there are expected to be a few unexpected weddings okay, that take place. I, I think it's the, that was the imagery that I objected to. Not the plot point that there were some hastily arranged marriages and sure. that the bishop wasn't in his pocket. But this imagery that evoked people showing up at this thing just to get hastily married. Yeah. Okay, the other thing that I think is actually very cute is they refer to this visit from Cupid and... Cressida's cousin is named Valentine. Lord Valentine, right? It is. Which you all know that I love whenever there's a guy named Lord Valentine. And he basically gets this couple together. He doesn't have a huge role. He does appear in all four of the novellas in the anthology, but not to the extent that he does in this one. He I, does not have his own love story, so I think he may be playing Cupid. Oh! Yeah, I, think I didn't cute. get to read all the books in the anthology, as you know. Um, okay, no, that's an interesting plot point. I yeah. didn't realize he was never going to get his own love story. Not in this. I, I read, I read it, and I was like, okay, where, where's Valentine's story? And then I thought maybe she'll write one later. Who knows? But the shield maybe is Valentine. any of the four, but he is Cupid. Yeah, that makes sense. But I did not get the chance to pick up on that. Okay, I get it. <laughs> so, as usual. We each wrote summaries using a random number as a word count to try to top the book jacket. As usual, for a novella, we generated a random number between 1 and 25, and for this episode, the number is 20. I'll kick us off. You might not have been looking for a wife, but when your best friend suggests his plain cousin, you say, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the enthusiasm in the early parts of this novella were a huge red flag. He's like, I'll think about it. And then he sees her and he's like, yeah, sure, why not? I need a wife. She seems okay. She's been around. I was like... Isn't that the sexiest thing? I presents? was not... I'm going to be honest. Not thrilled with that part. Mercy. Okay. Mine. <laughs> What's yours? A reluctant party planner loses her dowry so her dad can throw posthumous parties. Luckily, her cousin's BFF realizes she'll suit. I mean, yes, there you go. That is the setup for this book. Yeah. All right, tropes. She is an overlooked wallflower. Yeah. 
She also is the youngest of a long line of progeny who ends up bearing the weight of her parents' desires. This reminded me really heavily of Queen Victoria. Well, it reminded me of that. It also reminded me a little bit, actually, of Amelia Peabody. How there's... There's oh, always Amelia herself. Right, right, yeah. Amelia herself. Like, there's always the youngest, usually woman, who ends up staying at home, taking care of the parents. Yep. Although, in those, in most cases, um, the person, the woman, finds her independence afterwards because she's, she's given the money by the, 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 the parents. The deceased parent, right. Um, or in Queen Victoria's case, she just finally let her daughter get married. Mm. Whatever. But... Uh, this was really interesting because his youngest daughter had, who has cousins her own age. Right. I'm sorry, not cousins, nieces and nephews who are her age. Has been playing this party knowing her father's ailing, sort of with the belief that when he passes on, the burden of this party, to whatever extent it continues, will fall on his heir. His heir or, or the parties will just no longer happen. Right, to whatever extent they occur. Right. And she's very surprised to learn that he's counting on her to continue throwing this to the degree that he's given her dowry to the purchase of an additional estate for his heir. In return for the promise that that these parties will continue, continue, knowing that the heir will rely heavily on her for their production. So it's all very fucked up. It's super fucked up. And I I think this is less of a romance novel trope than like, a history and novel trope in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the parent who wants to to control... Not the parent, but the, the person who wants to control what happens to their wealth after they die. And their legacy. Right. In conjunction with it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Any other tropes? I mean, this isn't sibling's best friend, but it's... Cousin's best friend? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, like, we grew up together and you never saw me this way. Well, and I mean, there is, like, that unrequited love because she has always thought that he was the handsomest. It's little, it's, I'd say less unrequited love than unrequited crush. Like, She's always not the yeah. same level of, like, we were friends and I was pining and we exchanged letters. Like, that doesn't happen here. It's but... not a Colin Bridgerton, Penelope Featherington. Shush! Why do you read my mind? <laughs> because... We always think about Colin and Penelope in these moments. It's not that kind of sitch, is all we're saying. Correct. I mean, there's mistletoe. There's Christmas greenery. There's Christmassy stuff, but those are Christmas tropes. And we will get to those when Lane does her candy cane rating. The cross I bear. (laughs) So tough. But... I mean, there is the moment, too, where there's the new dress. She shows up and everyone's like, wow. She's she's actually hot. Yeah. This is one of those things that I had to hand wave away on the basis of novella, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, in a novel, I would have loved a further expounding on her romantic history. Yeah. On what offers were made, on how her father handled any potential suitors she had. But in the the scheme of a hundred pages, I was fine not having that information. Yeah. All right. 
How good was this book? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, Emily St. James is just a really good writer, I think. She really knows how to use words. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, she has a really good sense of language and, like, what words to use. That's what I mean. Although, I will point out an instance later that I it really got me. Yeah, there were a couple of moments. Um... I think I loved the idea of this, like, big-ass Christmas party. You would have loved to be Cressida and throw this party lane. Yeah. Dream come true. I would have loved to attend this party. Not Okay, there is two things in my life that really fulfill me as a person. Manipulating others for the gain of the greater good. <laughs> right, of course. And Christmas. <laughs> I thought one was going to be plot twists. <laughs> Plotris falls into category one. Oh, in case you're wondering, listeners. This is my part of my grand strategy to normalize women having sex. <laughs> okay. The greater good. The greater good. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, like, the idea of this person who gets to orchestrate these behind-the-scenes deals without credit, which is actually my dream. Mm-hmm. I know that's weird, but it is. Uh, uh. Combined with Christmas as the veneer of it all. Oh my god. I want that binder. Right? I want this binder filled with Christmas shit. I know. you. The only thing that... Well, you're just not Cressida though. Because you're not like a shrinking violet. No. Whatever. But you would have loved to have Cressida's role. If, if this were the modern day and this duke could hire me to plan this shit. For the record, I'm not a party planner in real life. This would be my dream job. Right. It might, but because every politician would have, I'd be in their ear. Yeah. That's like one of the benefits of being Cressida in this situation. Anyway. Okay. I, I have talked about age difference and age gap at length. He is eight years, nine years, 15 years. He's a lot older than her. Like nine. Okay. I didn't really mind it in a vacuum. I didn't mind it in a vacuum either because... I minded it because of the story they told about growing up together. Yes. Thank you. She's in her mid to late 20s. Like, she's definitely on the shelf. She's like 20... She's not that old. She's only like 23 or 24. Okay. Mid. She's 24. Okay. But he's like 35 or something like that. Right. But I'm not inherently grossed out by 25, 4, and 35. Correct. What I'm grossed out by is the story that yes, he tells. Yes, that's all I'm saying. Like, I, I, I'm not going to quibble over ages. I don't remember the specifics. But she's not 18, no. is my point, and he's not 40. Right. There's definitely a level of, like, they are both fully adults. She's been running this party for over a decade. Yes. The problem is they tell this, like, meat cute about her as a fucking infant. Like, five years old. And him as this, like, nearly grown man. Uh-huh. In this moment, she charmed him, and on, in hindsight, he's valued, like, her unique qualities ever since. And it's like, no, that's disgusting. Right? Stop it. If, he, if all he had said was, I danced with you at your ball, and you were beautiful, but you were too young for me to pursue at the time. Or even, I've known you your whole life. And your optimism. Right. And willingness to seize the joy in every moment. I didn't need the, the one vignette. I didn't of need the her vignette. as a six-year-old. Correct. Correct. Anyway. 
That was gross. Yeah, I was. Not it wasn't. Into- so it wasn't the age gap, and it wasn't the like I've known you your whole life. No. It was the way he talked about a child's joy inspiring him sexually. And I mean, it wasn't explicitly sexual, but it felt like it because they were just about to make out. Or maybe had just made out. Correct. Oh. I will say, I feel like I'm seeing a theme in recent romance novels, which is really looking at parenting and boundaries and codependency a little bit, which I think is really interesting and I think did happen in this book. So, uh, and I think this is, I've talked about this before. I talked about this in um, one of Megan Frampton's books about how parents are not, they're no longer, I think, just the simple marriage-minded mama. They're either fleshed out to have more agency and be more sympathetic or they're really presented as like a narcissistic parent who's living vicariously through their child and expecting a lot out of them. And I felt in this case, the father, so not only is this father trying to manipulate her beyond the grave, right? Because he's imagining that he will die soon and then he's still going to have her working for him for the rest of her life. He doesn't expect her to get married. But he also refuses to give his blessing to the to the wedding right to the marriage and her conflict is less about learning to love Elias or Elias I don't know how you pronounce that name in English okay I think it's Elias okay because of the Elias Sports Bureau that's fine hey guys if you're also a diehard sports fan I know what I'm talking about he's French so I thought Elias but that's not even how you say it in French. Whatever. So Elias. Yes. But the conflict is not necessarily about falling in love with him, but it's really more about breaking free from her father's expectations. And this was the part that I would group into offensiveness trigger warning to jump ahead a little bit. It was like a little not like the other girl's TM mm-hmm. in the way he thought about her when he encountered her as an adult. Right. And in her personal insecurities. Right. So he was viewing her as, like, not shallow like the other girls in a way I find very obnoxious. And she didn't believe that he was actually interested in her because she was not like other girls. Right. Both of which I fucking hate. Yeah. But anyway, I just feel like this... Sorry, Meg's mom. I just feel like this is a theme that's coming up more and more, which I am appreciating uh, because I think it's interesting... I think it's interesting. I, I think I'm frustrated by trends generally. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, frustrated by trends that don't apply to me. Right. Like, myopically and selfishly. I'm one of the 50% of people whose parents are still together, who are happily married, who are boring as shit. <laughs> who, like, never put weird pressure on me. Yeah. And so these parents who, the children who are wrapped up in, like, parental complexes I'm interested in but not in every book yeah so it didn't bother me here but I think you talking about it now as a trend is like triggering something in me I'm like oh shit Meg's right I hadn't (laughs) picked up on it but like this is a trend that I'm fine with in small doses 
But, like, please don't assume everyone has fucked up parents. Look, I get what you mean. Because just the word boundaries, I think, is so, like, That is trendy. It's so trendy. It's so trendy. Like, no, I watched Bachelor in Paradise this summer, and they're talking about drawing boundaries. And they're like, you're getting paid to make out with people on a beach. Like, you don't make boundaries. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be an asshole. You signed a fucking contract. Like... To be exploited. Right. And not to say that you don't have the right to negotiate your boundaries within that context. That's fine. But, like, your boundaries are, like, well, much it, lower than the average person. Well, and just the way we talk about boundaries and how the word is used, yeah. I think, is maybe a little overused. Okay. Let's um, talk about the other trigger warning that I want to mention, which is that there is a guy who's been invited who sexually harasses all of the women and makes them feel uncomfortable, and then goes further with the maids. So, like, unwanted touching, maybe rape, we don't really know. Why was that in this book? I don't know. Well, I mean, it was in this book to show that she is understanding of the servants, because she makes sure that none of the female servants are ever sent to his room. And it's also in there because Valentine tosses him out. To show that... It did not serve the plot. Yeah. It was just, like, using women's sexual powerlessness to show the hero was a good guy and the heroine was aware. Right. I did not enjoy it. Yeah, I didn't either. But it also didn't, like, ruin the book or anything. No. But, you know, be aware that if this is triggering for you, it does appear. Especially in the moment for any reason. Right. That said, how sexy was this book? Okay. Okay, sexy? Yeah, okay, sexy. Oh, it's pretty sexy. Okay, I just want to mention two lines that I just fucking loved. Because I thought they were either hilarious because it was amazing. I love this shit. Or hilarious because I read them wrong. So here's one of mine. He had a gift for this particular kind of loving. Nurtured and developed because he enjoyed it. What, dear listener, do you think he's talking about? I have perished. <laughs> Look, I'll just say, is when he's going down on her. <laughs> and he's like, because he enjoyed it. I'm like, guys, just so you know, Elias is the best. I, okay, enjoyed this book. There were some purple prose. Yeah. That took me out of the moment sometimes. Meg articulated an example in the immediate precedence of this moment. Um... She also is so insecure. There's, I mean, that's the trope, which is the, oh, you're not attracted to me. Oh, you think I'm not attracted to you? Here's my dick. Let me read you the line, because I read it wrong, and I had to go back and read it to be like, what? But I read it wrong. I actually, though, literally laughed out loud when I read it. As far as she knew, no man had ever felt desire for her before. But she felt the truth of his in her bone. And I was like, wait. <laughs> I thought she felt the truth of his in his bone. <laughs> and I went back and I was like, oh no, wait, that's not what she said. <laughs> this knows I appreciate subtlety. <laughs> but just the fact that they used like the word bone in there in that in that sentence just really cracked me up. I, I literally laughed out loud. I thought it was hilarious. I still think it's funny. It's a lot, for sure. 
Um, yeah, I thought it was sexy, and I, I, I like the dynamic in some ways of, like, the overlooked girl next door. Yeah. There were parts of this that I found problematic in their dynamic. I think what ultimately led to this book being more positive than negative for me was, like, the pure Christmas madness. Yeah. So, which leads us to our final feature. How many candy canes do you give this book? Four and a half. Woohoo! Guys! This wasn't a great book in the Christmas standard, but, like, the whole principle is this Christmas party that is insane. The whole setting is, like, we build a Christmas grotto every year out of ice, and it's King Arthur's court. And do you want to come walking through the Christmas grotto with me? And we show up, and there's balls, and there's... The whole point is the Christmas party, and it wasn't just, like, add Christmas and start. Nope. Like, the point of this was Christmas, and Christmas being this, like, exclusive event that leads to a full year of planning for an ice grotto every year, among other activities, like... This gets points for Christmas. The only reason it's not five stars is because I don't think the love story was that contingent on the Christmas. Well, the ambiance was super Christmas. It would have been five stars, but I don't think they fell in love with Christmas machinations. No, they didn't. And that loses, it can't be five stars because that's, it didn't. That's fine. I, I, the whole book, and I think it happens chronologically, so I think the book itself ends on Christmas. It does. So, I think that's also part of it. This is the first novella in the anthology. Yes. So, this one can't end on Christmas. Right, because they all happen in the same year, too. Right. They, all, they're all, all the books in the, same, in the mm -hmm. anthology don't necessarily start in the same year, but they end at this particular Christmas party where the Duke is dying. Right. I just, I understand your deathbed wish being like this fucking Christmas party. I get it. I respond to it. It's my truth. I, I wish the romance had been Christmas year. Right. But the book could not have been Christmas year. It's a very, I agree, very Christmassy book. And this, I will say, guys, we're not reviewing the rest of the books in the anthology. Because that would be most of December. And we read other things. But I, if this is one of my favorite kinds of anthologies, which is the one that, even if they're written by different authors, takes place in the same setting, and the characters from the different um, yeah. novellas interact with each other. So the setup was great, but I, I think ultimately, in the context of Christmas, what you have to ask is, would you, human today, want to go to this Christmas party? Yes, I would want to go to this Christmas party. I admit it. I admit it. I would be... If I got party. this invite, I wouldn't be like, this is kind of lame. Like, let's be honest. I really liked the romance in Christmas by Gaslight. Mm -hmm. That party was fucking lame. <laughs> yeah. Like, nothing about that book made me be like, if I wasn't one of those two people, I don't want to go to that party. That's true. That's I don't, true. Uh, if I'm not... Even if I'm not the hero or the heroine of the story, even if I'm like... A random mistress of one dude and I get to just show up. I accept that invitation. Uh, I agree with you. This Christmas party was fucking baller. It was amazing. This romance could have been a little Christmasier. The romance could have been more appealing and Christmasier, for sure. But the party? Party couldn't have been any better. Party's amazing. Couldn't have been any Christmasier. 
And I believe this concludes our review of Christmas novellas. It does, but we do have a special Christmas treat. episode for you. I was going to say treat. It's a special Christmas treat for you. If you enjoy made-for-Netflix Christmas movies and check out your subscription on Christmas Day, there may be something for you if you like The Princess Bride and or Burke Shields. <laughs> or, you know, Plotress. Because or we you, will also be your companions. And don't forget that I'm a knitter. Yes. So, <laughs> if you've already watched what we're alluding to... Yeah. You may hear a lot about Brio Stitch, is all I'm saying. Thank you guys so much for listening. Happy holidays to all those who celebrate anything this time of year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. If nothing else. 